you to turn with me this morning to the book of Acts chapter 18. To the 18th chapter of the book of Acts. Boy, look at all these little youngins going to be in children's church. And as we gather today, Brother Jonathan, I want to thank you and your family for coming and being willing to afford us the privilege to be able to see what God has blessed you and done for us, you, and we want to appreciate you and your ministry today. But as we gather, I don't know about y'all, but I want to talk to us about something this morning about reaching people for Christ, amen? Out of all we do, everything we do, the purpose for doing it should be that it's going to reach somebody, that they're going to get saved. And I want to talk to us this morning about reaching God's remnant, which is the church of the future. I don't know if you understand this, but there is the doctrine of the remnant that runs throughout the Word of God. We've seen it, a picture of it in the previous few weeks ago when Elijah got discouraged. He got overwhelmed by the needs of ministry and feeling that he was alone, that he was the only prophet. You ever feel like in the church that we're kicking a dead horse? We're trying to revive something that don't want to be revived? That seeing America have a spiritual awakening and seeing our communities change for Christ seems like an impossible task. If you've never felt that, that it's because you're not trying or don't care about it. But if you're saved, you should have a burden for our Jerusalem to be saved, to see a movement of God. But if you watch the news, if you let entertainment be what speaks to your heart, You'll be overwhelmed by what's out there and the task we face. But I want you to know that as bleak as it may look in America, there's a remnant out there that God has already known is going to be saved or we wouldn't be here this morning. As long as the church is here, there's people out there that God has already ordained that He knows they're going to be saved. And I want us to look this morning as we read. The Apostle Paul has been doing ministry. You could take the book of Acts and from chapter 12 on, you could pretty much call it, once he was changed from Saul, the old Pharisee, to Paul the Apostle, you could change it pretty much to the book of the Acts of Paul. <laughs> because it's all about Paul. And Paul is looked at as probably the greatest of the apostles. He's definitely the greatest evangelizer next to Jesus. He planted all the churches that we read in the New Testament that we have epistles written to. And here he's in ministry, and he's been going through ministry and I want you to think about where he's come from. Right off the bat, when he goes, set out by the church of Antioch on his first missionary trip, he runs into opposition from who else but his Jewish brethren. The people who Jesus came to die for, his own chosen people, were opposed to Christ. They rejected him and his message and the good news of the gospel. So Paul would go to the synagogue, and he'd preach, they'd run him out. He gets run out. In Lystra and Iconium, he's been stoned to death and left. He gets up, goes right back and preaches again. He leaves there. He's called on his second missionary journey. He goes to Macedonia. He goes to Macedonia and he goes to Philippi. He preaches. People are getting saved. Church is formed and he ends up in prison, <laughs> put in the stocks, beaten for the gospel, and he leaves there with trouble. He goes from there and he goes into a place that is called Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a great city. It was a place where he went and had great success. 
And here it is again. A mob comes up against him, runs him out of Thessalonica. He was sent off by his fellow ministers because they feared for his life. He goes to Berea. Berea is listening. They're receiving well. Things is going real good. The Jews from Thessalonica follow him, and they run him out of Berea. So he goes from there, and he goes to Athens. Athens was a very secular it didn't even have a Jewish presence. There wasn't even a synagogue, but they were very religious. They were idolatrous. In fact, there was idolatry going on to the fact that they had temples everywhere, and they even had a temple to worship the unknown God. And Paul stood and preached Jesus and said, To the God that y'all don't know, I want to preach to you about him. His name is Jesus. And he preached the death, burial, and resurrection, the good news of Christ, and he got very little response. They looked at him and laughed at him. And he leaves there, and this is where he's going. And he goes to Corinth. Corinth is a combination of Las Vegas, New Orleans, New York. Everything that can be anti-Christ in a city is represented and manifested in Corinth. It was the place, the hub, of probably one of the most wicked places of idolatry. It was where the goddess of Aphrodite was worshipped. She was the goddess of love, and they had a temple to her glory where they had 1,000 temple prostitutes, and the way you worshiped her was just think about it for a little while. It was a place of unbelievable immorality that was looked upon as not only okay, but a way to worship God. They were also very wealthy. They were in a little place where they were right in the isthmus between two seas, and it was one of the most strategic port cities of all of Rome. And there was money being made hand and fist. And it was very wealthy. And with wealth comes corruption and materialism and covetousness. So there was all of that going on. But let me tell you what there was not. There was no Jesus at all. He's never been preached there. There is no church presence. It's totally unchristianized. There is no culture of the church. Paul walks in here after all this has happened to him. And he goes and says in verse 18, After these things Paul departed from Athens and he went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And we know they became instrumental believers who yoked up with Paul and were staunch supporters of his ministry and you can read their names they appear in many of the letters they were followers and supporters of Paul's ministry so God gave him somebody to help him and I don't know about y'all but when you're working for the Lord ain't it good to have people come alongside you and listen what it says Paul did it says in verse 4 and he reasoned in a synagogue every Sabbath and he persuaded both Jews and Greeks. If you go back in one of the previous chapters, when Thessalonica, it says, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue first, and he preached the gospel to the Jews. So here it is. It says, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he persuaded both Jews and Greeks. That's Gentiles. So I want you to look at this. He's ministering to two different types of people, Jews and Gentiles. And when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, that's where he's just run from, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ, their Messiah. He's the Savior. And so, Paul, how is he compelling them? What is he doing? He says he reasoned and he persuaded. He, he did it by testifying God's testimony of his Son. And look at verse 6. 
But when they, the Jews, opposed him and blasphemed, he shook off his garments and he said to them, Your blood is upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Paul's trying to reach his fellow Jews, but they're not interested. Have you tried to reach your fellow neighbor lately and they weren't interested? Have you come to the understanding that America is not interested in Jesus and the church anymore the way they were 50 years ago? America today is as different as America was yesterday as a Jew and a Gentile, I'm here to promise you. They're two different cultures. And I want you to think about this. In case you haven't noticed, things have changed. How is the church to be faithful in reaching this generation when the world ahead of us is so different than the world behind us? And I'm here to tell you that the generation behind us is not the same as the generation of the day. And the generation of tomorrow is even going to be more different than they are right now. And I want you to look at this in case you haven't noticed. We no longer live in a Christianized society in America. America is an unchristianized society. We are blessed to be in the Bible Belt. The most Christianized segment of the complete United States of America is right here in the good old Southeast. Amen? You go anywhere else in America and you would think we are in heaven. And even here in the most Christianized presence in America, the church is struggling. So how do we lead ministry in a cultural context that is becoming increasingly less interested in church attendance and in a cultural context where media and entertainment has increasingly become hostile towards Christianity? And if you don't see that, you're just a ostrich with his head in the sand and friends because of that in case you haven't noticed the church is struggling so how do we what do we do about shrinking and dying churches what do we do Paul was in a place where he was struggling he had Jews who didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus he had Gentiles who were willing to come to Christ but he loved those Jews because he was a Jew but he didn't love him because he was a Jew. He loved him because he loved Jesus. And he knew Jesus died for those Jews just as much as he died for those Gentiles. And Jesus died as much for that future generation, no matter how far they turn from God in America, no matter how far America strays, Jesus loves them just as good as the America of the past that honored him and built a church that brought glory to all of America. And so the future is just as important to Jesus as the past. Thank God for the past. America has an awesome Christian legacy where God moved. And by His grace, a church was established that set the cause of Christ throughout the world and made an indent for the glory of God on the face of this planet. But today, that ain't the way it is, folks. Especially in the Southern Baptist churches. Now I want you to think about this in case you haven't noticed. Most churches don't, do know, don't know what to do about it. So I want to ask you, how do we keep from becoming another statistic in the next church survey? Because church survey after church survey shows us that more churches are decreasing than increasing and more churches are dying than are being planted and birthed in America. Christianity for a long time has been in a decline as a whole period. And guys, today we look and we see something that brings a lot of hope. Because as bad as it may look, 
as much as you may think, how are we ever going to win people to America, Jesus in America the way it is today? I promise you because this church is here, because God is still blessing, because I see evidence that he's doing something that he ain't doing anywhere else and all other, he's doing in other places, but not as a norm. There's people in this area, I promise you, that are the remnant that God already knows will be saved if a church will rise up and do what it takes to win them. Now I want you to think about this. Reaching God's remnant. Look what Paul was told. These Jews opposed him in verse 6. And when they opposed him and blasphemed him, he shook off his garments. He didn't give up. He kept preaching. And look what it says in verse 7. And he departed from there and he entered the house of a certain Jew named Justice who worshipped God who lived right next to the synagogue. The home turf of the whole people who's opposing him in the gospel of Jesus. And look at what happens. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, the head Jew, <laughs> the, the, the one who ran the synagogue, got saved. Friends, listen to this. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. I want to tell you something. Odds were not for Paul. They were against Paul. But because Paul believed in his Christ and he kept ministering, People got saved. In fact, the Jewish leader got saved. You say, well, what's that the equivalent of? That's like winning one of these progressive, millennial, outspoken politicians that do everything that oppose Jesus. Someone who supports abortion publicly. Someone who supports same-sex marriage and even passes legislation to make it happen. To get saved and publicly acknowledge it on national TV that I'm a Christian. We were wrong. And this is what Christ would want us to do. This guy gets saved. I can promise you an uproar began. Paul was probably nervous. In fact, I know he was scared because I'm going to show you where he writes about it in the scriptures. So the Lord came to him in a vision. A vision to encourage him that Paul, I died for the world and I'm going to save everyone in the world who will believe in me. But you got to keep doing what I told you to do. And listen to what he tells Paul. I love it. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, Paul, but speak and do not keep silent. Don't shut up. Don't back up. You stand up and you speak up because I am with you. And no one will attack you, Paul, or hurt you. If you're doing what I want you to do, you're invincible as long as you're doing what I want you to do till I get through with you. And listen to what he says. For I have many people in this city. What's that? That's the remnant. You say, well, what is the remnant? God always reserves his remnant throughout the Bible. Look at what it says. He told Elijah when he was like Paul and he was discouraged. He said, yet I have reserved for me 7,000 in Israel all whose knee have not bowed to Baal. Guys, in Israel, in its darkest days, when Ahab had killed all the prophets, they could only find one prophet, the prophet Elijah. It was so bad that God sent that famine for three years, a drought. He said, but I still got seven reserved, 7,000 that believe in me. Now I want you to look at this. What is the remnant? The remnant, if you look this up, this is from the Holman Bible Dictionary. It literally means something left over and it especially alludes to the righteous people of God 
who are always left over after the righteous and divine judgment of God. Now, I don't know if you believe this or not, but America is deep in the throes under the judgment of God as a nation. The nation of, God, of America is being terribly, terribly judged, but we don't even want to see it. That's why it's so divided. That's why they can't have an answer. And President Trump may be doing some good things, but we're a long things from great again. The only thing that ever made us great in the first place was Jesus. And until Jesus is put back in his rightful place, America will never ever come back to the glory days that she's seen when the church was a way of life. The church was the foundation of society and culture. And we had the Bible in school. We prayed in school. We took the principles of the teachings of Scripture and that was the moral standard of who we were. Until that happens again, ten trumps and more even better than him will never ever bring America back to where God's judgment ain't on us. So the word remnant, what's that mean? That's within America, there's still a remnant though who God will save, who God will deliver, Brother Witt. Eighty-five times in the New King, I mean in the King James Bible or the New King James, you find the word remnant. Several Hebrew words express the idea of the remnant. The most, usually the most often translation is the word yitter, and it means that which is left over. The word shi'ar is the second most translated. All these words in Hebrew are translated as remnant, and that means that which remains. When God, whatever he allows to happen, to backslidden, Christ-rejecting, God hating America, there will always be a remnant that will be left over, that will remain, who will escape as survivors and be loosed from the bonds of God's judgment against ungodly people. There's a remnant. That's why all those words mean that. Guys, a church today that's growing instead of being decreased, that's seeing blessings, that's seeing God bring people into the fold and they're getting saved and they're increasing in number, they're the remnant. I'm here to tell you, the majority of churches today are struggling. And we need to realize today there's a reason. Now I want you to look about this. God always reserves a remnant. Now this is right close to where we are, so don't lose your place. But flip back with me to the book of Romans chapter 10. Paul understood, being a Jew, the doctrine of the remnant. Now, while you're turning there, I just want to read to you a long list of scriptures that show how prolific and how well-documented the doctrine of God's remnant being kept by His grace is in the Bible. In 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 31, just listen to this. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant. And those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So what he's saying in 2 Kings through the prophet is that through the zeal of the Lord of the host, there are those who are going to escape off of Mount Zion and who are going to come forth out of Jerusalem as my remnant. That's what that verse says. Isaiah is the biggest and most prolific user of the doctrine and he alludes more to the remnant than any other Old Testament prophet. Isaiah said this in chapter 1 verse 9. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant 
we would have become just like Sodom and we would have been no different than Gomorrah. He said, Amer he said the, the, the Israelites have gone so far from God that unless God, he called them the holy seed, unless he would have kept the remnant of the holy seed, we would have been just as bad off as Sodom and Gomorrah. But God, by his grace, had a remnant that still loved him. Listen to what he goes and says in verse 10, chapter 21. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God of Israel. Isaiah 46, 3, he says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all of the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been upheld from me from birth, who have been carried by me from the womb. Man, you don't think God is sovereign? God will never, ever not have a remnant of people who will love him enough to believe and trust him and be saved. He said that this remnant, he upheld them from birth. He carried them from the womb. All the remnant of the house of it. Jeremiah speaks of the remnant. Listen to what he says in Jeremiah 23 verse 3. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their foes and they shall be fruitful and increase. God said, my remnant, I'm going to bring them back into the flock. Ezra says, and now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape. And now for a little while, grace has been shown from us, the Lord our God, to give us a remnant to escape. Friends, as you begin to look at what God has to say, listen to Joel. Joel chapter 2 verse 32 says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's speaking about when Christ would come. That's a prophet of messianic prophecy. And he says, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter quoted that in his sermon on the day of Pentecost at Acts chapter 2 when 3,000 people got saved. And it says, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. There's a remnant out there just waiting for the Lord to call them out. Even in America, they're out there. And so Paul, who is tore up because he's ministering, he's sold out to Christ, but the Jews as a nation are lost. None of them's getting saved, but a very small portion. And Paul says, if you look with me in Romans chapter 10, look at what Paul's heart cries out here. My little thing done came off my doodad that saves my place. Let me find it. Romans chapter 10, he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. He said, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. They were religious, but not according to knowledge. They didn't know him. Why? Because they rejected their Messiah. They rejected Jesus. He says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law. That's the Old Testament way to achieve righteousness to everyone who believes in him. The new way is grace, trust in Jesus. Now listen, Paul could get real discouraged because everywhere he's going, not only are they opposing him, they're trying to kill him. They're coming against him. So listen what Paul says in chapter 11. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 is Paul's battle with his heart about where is Israel now that the church has come on the scene and there is the Old Testament people of God, my fellow Israelites, now that the New Testament people of God is the church. 
And listen to what he says in verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, exclamation point. Paul said, he ain't cast away the Jews, for I am one. He said, I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Not only did Paul know he had been saved, he knew all of the apostles that had been saved were Jewish. In fact, the beginning of the church was predominantly Jewish. But listen to what he says. God has, look at verse 2, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. God already knows everybody out there that will get saved if the church will get about going out there and winning them. And listen to what he says. And it says, God did not, has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that the scripture says, and he's using what we looked at in the previous weeks about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel. And he said, Lord, they have killed your prophets. They've torn down your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response, what was God's response to that? He, he told Elijah, Elijah, you're not alone. I've reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And then listen to what Paul's response to that was. Paul said, even so then, now at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Paul understood there's a whole remnant of people out there that's going to get saved because God ordained it before the foundation of the world. Guys, as long as this church is here, there's a remnant out there, and there are a lot of people out here, which tells me there's a pretty good-sized remnant. But they're, 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 they're going to be saved. It's easy for you to look and say, that young generation don't want to hear about Jesus. They don't want to get saved. Well, when's the last time you tried to save one? When's the last time you went and talked to them about Jesus? When's the last time you've been on your face crying out to holy God for this generation that will take our place? And if they don't take our place, they will be no church. Before we judge them, do we realize that it was because of the election of grace that we're even here this morning? It ain't our goodness, it's his, my friend, that begs a church. None of us stands on our own merit and ability. We stand by his grace and provision. Anyone who's walked in the power of God knows it ain't by my strength. Anyone who's been faithful for any amount of time knows it ain't because of my goodness. He's good. He's faithful. He provides. He gives strength where weakness is. He gives righteousness where ungodly is. He cleans up what is filthy and dirty and nothing but a filthy rag in his sight when he takes our religious works without him. And guys, Paul come up with this conclusion. At this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Paul said, I might be running into trouble but if I keep preaching Jesus, I'm going to run into the remnant. <laughs> I might have a bunch of Jews that don't want him, but sooner or later there's going to be another Jew like me that does want him. Paul said, if I keep preaching long enough, so every time Paul went to the next city, first place he went didn't make no sense to the world. He went straight to the synagogue, straight to his fellow Jews. Let me tell you about Jesus. And every time, most of them ran him off, but some got saved. He'd leave from there, and he'd go to the Gentiles. And he'd preach to the Gentiles, and a bunch of them would get saved. And God explained to Paul, I'm saving the Gentiles, but I haven't forgot the Jews. But I'm using the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy so that they will return to me. God is relentless in his pursuit of the sinner. His strategy, his wisdom and his providential plan is so bigger than us, it would blow our little pea brains if we even had a glimpse of what he's got planned and can do. 
He gives us just enough to let us know you ain't in control. I am. And if you'll give me control, you'll see what I can do. Now, Paul understood. Jesus said, Paul, don't be afraid. Don't be quiet. Keep on speaking. Because I'm with you. No one's going to hurt you. And I got many people in this town. Downtown Shreveport. In the worst part of Shreveport. God's got people in this town. That if someone would just love Jesus enough. To go down there and love them enough. Some of them could get saved. They might be black. They might be Mexican. Some of them might even be Asian. But I can tell you what. Probably ain't a whole lot of them like us. Paul had never run into anybody more not like him than Gentiles. But you know what Paul did? Paul said, God said there's a remnant. He said there's people in this city. I'm going to reach them. And now guys, turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want you to see, even though there's a remnant that God has promised us will be saved, we still have a responsibility or that remnant is not going to be saved. Now, how many of you believe there's a remnant in this generation? How many of you hear bad things about the millennials? The millennials don't want to work. The millennials want to turn us into a socialistic, communist nation. The millennials want everything given to them. The millennials don't love Jesus. That's all you hear is the millennials is the problem of the future. Well, I got news for you. The millennials is the future. And unless they get born again, unless they get saved, and a remnant of them gets filled with Jesus, the millennials will run America very soon. We don't want to hear that, do we? So what's our hope? We got to reach the remnant. How do you reach the remnant? You preach the gospel. I want you to see when Paul went there, Paul got there in Corinth. And we just kind of seen a glimpse. We're looking at it. So he writes this letter and he gives testimony of what it was like. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now remember, God gave him that little vision to cheer him up. Because look at what was going on in Paul's heart. Man, I can identify with this. Brother Doug, you and Shelby probably know what it feels like too. He said in verse 1 of chapter 2, And I, brethren, when I came to you, back in Acts chapter 18, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring you the testimony of God. And that's what God told him. He said, you go testify of God's wisdom, God's testimony to him. And listen to what he says in verse 2. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul said, all I knew is that Jesus died for you. I didn't have a lot of fancy philosophy. I didn't have a lot of elegant words to preach to you and entertain you and make you feel spiritual all i knew to tell you was jesus died for you if you go look back in chapter one he says to the jew that was a stumbling block and to the gentile it was foolishness he said but to those who are being saved he said the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to those who are being saved it is the power and the wisdom of god now there's a lot of them out there that's going to look at it as foolishness there's a lot of them's going to look at it as a stumbling block, but there's a remnant that's going to look at it as what I've been waiting to hear all my life. God will save me, and He's already done it. All I got to do is believe it. 
And so Paul said in verse 4 that my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So it's the power of God. Paul is clear. He understands that's, that's the only way the remnant can be saved. But I want you to look at why Paul was so used by God. Because you see his heart when you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In the churches that I've been a part of, and most of the church people that I know believe everything I've been telling you. We believe in the power of the gospel, that we're not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation that anyone shall believe, that it has power to save anybody. We believe that God's grace keeps the church and that His Spirit is the hope of glory that's in us. We believe we've been commissioned. We may believe we've been commissioned to carry out the great commission, which is to go into all the world and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, teaching them everything that Jesus taught unto those original apostles. And then he said, Lo, I will be with you to the end. And he said, You can do this because the verse above that, he says, All authority has been given to me. We say we believe that, but we don't really believe it because we don't do it. But you see, even though all that's true, all authority has been given to Jesus. He said that he put the church here and he said, I will build my church based upon the fact that Peter told the truth when he said, what do people say about me? And Peter said, well, they say all kinds of things about you. He said, it don't matter what other people say. What do you say, Peter? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, upon that rock, upon that truth, Peter, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell ain't going to prevail against it. The church that Jesus is in is building. It's growing. The church that ain't growing, Jesus ain't head. He ain't in charge. Bottom line, if you believe the book. When he's in charge and he's leading, he's building. And he said the gates of hell can't stop me from building my church. So guys, listen to this. Jesus says this. But Paul now is out there. What is our part? Can we just go and beat them over the head with the word of God, brother Abe? And tell them, this is what the Bible says, you better do it. You better get saved. It's either, you never heard someone say, burn or turn. <laughs> it don't work. You see, the way you win people to Jesus is you connect with them by building relationships, by meeting their needs. Whatever those people are like, a good missionary, when he goes to a foreign land, he dresses like them. He eats what they eat. He lives like them so that he can connect with them. First thing they teach you when you go to be a missionary, brother, if you go to be a missionary, you ain't going to get to dress like that probably. They don't tell them where you end up, but you ain't going to get to eat no Popeyes in some places. That's why I ain't a missionary, amen? <laughs> but all kidding aside, Paul knew the importance that the only way the remnant will ever be received and be saved it's by the proclamation of the gospel. I think most Baptist churches do that. But let me show you what they don't do. And this is why we're not being effective. If you look in chapter 9, look what Paul says right here. He says two things about what made him able to receive God's remnant and see people saved. First, Paul had a burning burden, a blessed burden. He couldn't help but preach the gospel. I want you to see what he says in verse 16. Paul says, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity has been laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Paul said, because I preach the gospel and because we stand in the Baptist church on the truth, that don't mean nothing. 
Because woe is to all of us if we didn't stand on this book and preach this book. But that ain't what made Paul effective. Although that was the main thing, it wasn't the only thing. Because look at what he says in verse 17. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. What is that reward? To see people saved. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with the stewardship. i got to do this. It's what God's called me to do. And the church has been called by God to reach the remnant that he has out there. And I want you to look at what Paul says that his mentality toward those people who he was trying to reach who were out there in that remnant. Listen to what he says when you get down to verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I'm free from all men. I don't know anybody anything. He said, I have made myself a servant. That word is the word doulos. It means bond slave. I've made myself a bond slave to all men that I might win them. As long as we perceive ourselves as more important as them, we won't win them. It's when we say we're servants and we're willing to make our servant and our self-servant to all men that we'll win people to Christ. And that's what Paul said. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all men that I might win the more. Look at verse 20. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, Paul had been set free from the law. He didn't have to live under the bondage of the law. He'd been delivered. He was now a product of grace. But he said, when I'm around the Jews, I still live as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. Even though I'm not bound to Jewish and Judaism and I'm not bound to all their legalistic religion, when I'm around a Jew, I'm going to honor that. I'm going to act like a Jew so that I can win a Jew because Jews are different than Gentiles. And then he says, look here, he says right below that, he says to those who are without the law, that's the Gentiles, verse 21, as without law, not being without law, but toward God, but under the law, toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. The Gentiles didn't have the law. They didn't have the Judaism system. They didn't have a religion and a understanding knowledge of the Word of God. Paul said, when I'm around them, they don't know anything. They don't know what the Jews know. So i got to treat them different. So if you minister to a Gentile, common sense would tell you, you couldn't minister to a Gentile and win them the same way that you ministered to a Jew and win them. Paul understood there had to be an adjustment. If I'm going to win a Jew, I'm going to have to be whatever it takes to win a Jew. I'm going to have to give up my new preferences as a Christian. I like bacon. I like cheeseburgers. But when I'm around them, I'm going to eat that nasty kosher food only because I want to respect them. But when I'm around a Gentile, I don't like some of the things them Gentiles do. I wish they'd all get circumcised. I wish they'd all do some of the things the Jews do. I wish they'd go by some of the Mosaic laws because they're good. But I'm not going to condemn them because they're not Jewish. They aren't Jewish. They're Gentiles. So I'm going to love them and I'm going to become like them because I can win them. He says, when I'm around the weak, I'm going to become as the weak. Not because I'm weak in Christ. Look at what he says. It's, it's, that's why Paul won people, folks. Look at what he says in verse 20. Two, to the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have come all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Look what Paul says. Why did he do that? Why did he become all things to all men so that he could win some? So that he 
did it for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it with you. Guys, we are fixing to vote on music, but this ain't really about music. We're fixing to vote on a young man who has heard the call of God, who has surrendered his life and his family to serve under the call of God over him, to use the gifts and the abilities that God's gave him. And he comes different because he comes from another generation than some of the rest of us. But I'm here to tell you, this ain't about feelings. It ain't about preference. It ain't about church. It's about, do we want to win the remnant that is out there and is going to die and go to hell without Jesus enough to become all things to all men? Paul said, I've become a servant to all because I want to win them. If you think you can win the next generation the same way that we won this past generation, you're fooling yourself. The gospel doesn't change. Paul preached the gospel everywhere. He preached the same gospel to that Gentile with all of their immorality and all of their false gods and all of their wickedness that he preached to the Jew with all of their righteousness and their religion and their natural goodness because that's the only thing that saves. But he understood, if I'm going to win Jews, i got to act like a Jew. i got to take away my preference and be what they need me to be. Why do I do this? Because I want to be a partaker of the gospel. You see, there's people everywhere we go. I know there's a remnant out there. You say, how do you know there's a remnant? Because I see them in here this morning. That boy right there is a product of them. You say, well, he grew up in church. This one didn't. <laughs> you know where I met this young boy? Stand up, Doug. This young boy, I'm so proud of him, but I'm proud of Jesus. When I found Doug, I found him at a dog hunting club. Old Doug, Douglas May. First time I ever met him, he pulled up to a place called the Four Corners. He jumped out, and his best friend, he killed a buck he'd been showing everybody pictures of. He said, you kill my buck. And he had some good adjectives added to it. Well, I sat back, and he lighted him up a cigarette. They had a good old talking that I had turned my sanctified Baptist preacher ears away from. Remember that day, Doug? Chris killed your buck. You showed it to everybody. Then when we killed it, he got mad. I said, boy, who is he? Man, I got to know Doug that year. And old Doug got to coming. And about that time, I led Christy's brother, Josh, to the Lord, cutting firewood on the side of the road. He's the only one stopped to help me. My whole church rode by blowing the horn. Nobody even stopped to help me. Josh got out. Brother Marvin, you need help? I was about dead. Oh, brother, that big joker, y'all met him or somebody. He's splitting wood. We start talking. He said, man, I got to get in church. I got to get right. I said, Josh, church ain't what makes you right. It's Jesus. You ain't never accepted Jesus? Oh, we're sitting on a cut of wood, drinking a bottle of water. I got a track out of my truck. In the middle of that, church members running by blowing the horn, still ain't stopping to help. That boy got saved. He came that Sunday morning, walked the aisle with him and his wife. And gave his heart to Jesus and he ain't quit and he's still going right now and ain't even had a preacher in two years. That's got to be Jesus. In the meantime, she's seeing that. God's dealing with Christy. Them two get together. They won't care if I tell you this because it's their testimony. They moved in together like most people do. I'm seeing Doug and I'm inviting him to church. I done learned enough about Doug now that my grandsons Luke and, um, Luke and um, 
Grayson come? I said, listen, I'm going to drop you off and put you on the stand. There's going to be people come by and offer you a ride. You can ride with Mr. Jerry Taylor. You can ride with Mr. Donald Shirley. And you can ride with Mr. Clyde Coker. But if a young boy comes by in a lipped up, bent front bumper, muddy, wore out, tore up Toyota named Douglas May, do not get in that truck with him. Because he would drive it wide open, come flying through there. He had two old walkers named Iceman and Skittles. Skittles running about! He'd come flying through there 90 miles an hour and about kill you if you was. And I told him, whatever. You couldn't have paid Grayson to get in it. Luke's a redneck. He was dying to get in it with him. <laughs> and he would run all over. Why not? Chasing them two walker hounds, Skittles and Iceman. You know, God's changed things a lot since then. Doug came to church one Sunday. Him and Christy. And boy, her brother was so proud. And when I seen Doug, he had a tie on and a starched shirt. And I walked up to him. I ain't never seen nothing but camo. I said, dang, Doug, you look like a preacher. You remember that? He was ripped and real. I thought he was just scared. He told me he was hungover. He said, I had the worst hangover. He said, I didn't even want to go, but Christy made me go. So they went. So they decided to rent that movie called The War Room. They just going to. Look at a good Christian movie everyone's talking about. So they watched that movie, The War Room, and Christy got saved. Doug repented. Called me on the phone before they went to bed. Said, Brother Marvin, we watched that movie, War Room, and Christy just got saved, and I got to give my life away. We need to talk to you. They come talk to me. Will you marry us? They come to church. They walk the aisle. They joined the church, got saved. Within no time, Doug said, God's calling me to preach. I'm like, no, I don't think so. God's calling me to preach. Let him preach. And boy, he did good. Since then, he's preaching. I left, they had him preaching all the time. Right after they got married, he ain't got them walker hounds no more. Now he's got two little twin girls, Jordan and Carly. He thought running after them walkers was hard. <laughs> he was at our house all day yesterday. Carly, don't do that. Oh, what, Jordan, I was cracking up. God is cool. He's the remnant. He's 31. That's the remnant. That man's 37. He's willing to give his life and put his family in place of ministry. The remnant's out there, my friend. You know who will reach the remnant of the millennials? Saved millennials. How do you get millennials to come to a church where there ain't no millennials? Get some of them saved and get some millennials. Get them full of Jesus. That generation is waiting for a church that loves Jesus enough to put them first. And God will save them. We're voting today. And it's bigger than you ever could imagine. We're going to have a time of invitation right now. And even more important than that is do you know Jesus Christ today as your personal Lord and Savior? The bottom line is this, are you saved? Did you come to church today because that's something that you just do? Or are you born again by the Spirit of God? Because if you're not saved today, I want to encourage you to be saved. But guys, listen, every one of us that are saved have a personal responsibility to do everything we can with our life to be used by God individually and when we gather together corporately to win the world for Jesus. Is your life making a difference? Are you doing with your life what God wants you to do? We're going to have a time of invitation, and I want to invite you to obey God 
If you're lost, this is the perfect day to be saved. Would you come and be saved? And if you're not where you need to be, I want to invite you to come and get your heart right with Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. We're going to stand together. I'm going to pray. Father in heaven, we spoke your words. We've looked at your testimony and how you used Paul. And Lord, deep down we know that there's people out there that will come to Christ if we'll go out there, if we'll be the church that you need us to be. So Father, there's people in our midst. I know in this crowd there's somebody who's unsaved. He's scared and he's fearful. His pride don't want to let him come up here. But Lord, I pray that your grace will humble him and you'll give him strength to walk an aisle and to give his heart to Jesus. Lord, there's others here that need to make adjustments. Lord, I pray that you'll work that out in our lives today. Just like you changed Doug's life, just like you've changed others' life, we thank you for the testimony of justice with all the obstacles and all the consequences in his life he's overcome because of you. Lord, there's people that live next door to us every day that are part of the remnant waiting to be saved. Thank you for that, Lord. And as long as we hear, we know there's going to be some saved. So, Lord, use us today, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.